All right, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. The Emmy-winning cartoon, Charlie Brown Christmas, opens with a, a winter landscape of snow falling on a frozen pond. Maybe you guys can picture it right now. There's children skating. They're so happy that they're actually singing. That's how Charlie Brown Christmas starts. But not everyone is happy because it cuts to a scene of Charlie Brown talking to his best friend, and he says this, I think there must be something wrong with me, Linus. Christmas is coming, but I'm not happy. I don't feel the way I'm supposed to feel. I just don't understand Christmas. I guess I like getting presents and sending cards and decorating trees and all that, but I'm still not happy. This time of year, I always feel depressed. And that's a reasonable thing to confide to a friend. I hope you each have somebody that you can be emotionally honest with. And then Charlie's friend says this, Charlie Brown, you are the only person I know that can take a wonderful thing like Christmas and turn it into a problem. Isn't that sad? Charlie Brown is trying to be honest. Charlie Brown is trying to be heard. But nobody is making the effort to hear him or look through his perspective. And so I want to contrast that moment of being sad and unheard at Christmas time with a final scene from the 1983 film a Christmas Story. Do you guys remember how that movie ends? It's late at night. The grandfather clock is chiming. Mom just checked on her sleeping kids and her husband calls her over to the couch. They sit together and they look past the decorated tree to the snow falling outside. They toast their drinking glasses together at the absolute serenity of the moment. And then the camera cuts upstairs to Ralphie in his bed. And for the whole movie, Ralphie just wanted one thing. He wanted what? He wanted a BB gun. That's the only thing that he wanted for Christmas. But his teacher told him that wasn't a very good gift for a kid. His mom told him that wasn't a very good gift for a kid. And even the department store Santa told him that was not a very good gift for a kid. The whole movie builds this tension. Will anybody really listen to Ralphie? Will anybody really see Christmas through his point of view? And the answer is yes, because his father has heard him. His father gives him a BB gun. And in that final scene, he's actually holding it and sleeping with a gun in his bed. And the, the, fi the final dialogue is this. The adult narrator Ralphie says, next to me in the blackness lay my oiled blue steel beauty, the greatest Christmas gift I've ever received or would ever receive in my life. So I want to start off by asking you guys a question. If we were to make a spectrum and on one side is Charlie Brown, okay? Charlie Brown's misunderstood. Charlie Brown is not like Christmas time. Charlie Brown is unseen. Charlie Brown is unheard. He asks somebody to look at life from his point of view and he gets scolded by his best friend who's got issues of his own, right? Little blanket kid. All right. Now let's go to the opposite end of the spectrum and consider Ralphie. Ralphie's in a warm bed. Ralphie just asked for one thing. Uh, he got it. As a result, he's experiencing the most content moment that he'll ever experience in his life. So my question for you guys is, where are you 
right now on that spectrum? Are you having a Charlie Brown Christmas so far? Or are you feeling like Ralphie over here, receiving everything that you've wanted, content? Are you guys a Ralphie? Or are you a Charlie Brown? Are you heard? Or are you unheard? Well, this winter, every Sunday, we're studying stories in the Bible of characters that feel like they're unseen or they feel like they're unheard only as the story unfolds uh, for us to be reminded uh, that God sees us and he hears us even when we don't perceive that he does. So tonight we turn our attention to a story in Luke chapter 1 that was just read to us by the worship team about a couple named Zachariah and Elizabeth. Zachariah, well, he sure seems like a Charlie Brown. For decades and decades, this guy has been unheard by God. And then, as this Christmas story, as this Advent story begins, as God is preparing to bring Jesus into this world, we realize that Zachariah and Elizabeth have actually been wonderfully heard by God. They seem like Charlie Browns, but they're actually Ralphies. If you came here tonight feeling like a spiritual Charlie Brown, this story reminds us of how the gospel turns us into Ralphies. All right? Let's study this uh, Christmas story in three parts. Let's start off by making some connection points to Zechariah and Elizabeth, because even though this story happened 2,000 years ago, I, I think we probably have a lot more in common with that couple than we think. In section two, let's talk about how this story is really framing things in a way to show us how Zechariah and Elizabeth were beautifully heard by God. And then let's close with some uh, Advent encouragement for us that we too are heard by God and our deepest needs are met this Christmas. All right, section one, let's talk a little bit about Zechariah and Elizabeth. Uh, if you haven't already, please turn to Luke chapter one. And uh, the first connection point that I want to establish is that this couple has faithfully loved and served God for decades. And maybe you feel like you have done your very best to love and serve God for years and years. Uh, Luke 1.6 says this, Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Okay? So this doesn't mean that this couple never sinned or made mistakes. It doesn't mean that they were perfect. It just means that they were wonderful spiritual leaders and wonderful examples of followers of God. Verse 8 reveals that Zechariah uh, was a, a, a priest, so he would, have served, uh, for, he would have served for a week two times a year. And uh, that's where the story sort of starts. That just reminds us that he's faithful and he's, he's serving well. And then a little bit later on in verses 39 to 45, we see that this woman, Elizabeth, is full of uncommon faith and perceptiveness. Because when, she's, when Zacharias told something that's a little bit difficult to believe, uh, he has just a moment of doubt. But contrast that with Elizabeth, who, who receives that news, and uh, she has unusually uh, uh, high faith and perceptiveness. So this is a couple. Uh, it tells us a little bit later on uh, that they're advanced in age. I don't know what that means, and if I throw out a number, that might offend people here today. Whatever advanced in age means to you, go with it. They have been faithfully loving and serving God for decades. That's a connection point with Zachariah and Elizabeth. Maybe that's something that you can relate to. 
Well, I think that uh, we don't have to speculate too much to know that this couple is also greatly discouraged over the state of their nation. It tells us in Luke 1.5, this is in the time of Herod, the king of Judea. And even just that phrase, the king of Judea, uh, is something that would have made the original audience bristle a little bit. He's not the true king of Israel. He's not even Jewish. Uh, this guy is Herod the Great, and he, uh, he reigned over Israel from about 37 to 4 B.C. Uh, and uh, we know a lot about him through history. He actually was a wealthy Nabataean, uh, and those were some spice traders uh, from uh, the neighboring region. If you guys have ever seen uh, this, the famed city of Petra, those, those multi-story buildings carved in the rock, uh, and I think it's modern-day Jordan, those were the Nabataeans, and they were incredibly wealthy. And this guy, Herod, came from that family, uh, and he, uh, he farmed taxes for Rome. So he and his, uh, his traders and this kind of economic empire that they made, they went through the region, they collected taxes uh, and tributes, which they passed on a percentage of to the Romans, uh, and that won the Roman Empire's favor. And so they put this Nabataean as king over Israel. He was uh, what we would call very secular, and uh, he had a, follow, a group of followers um, who uh, appear a couple times throughout the Gospels, and they're called the Herodians. And the Herodians were uh, Jewish people who loved all the luxuries of Greece, and they were sort of uh, uh, pushing their influence. Hey, let's be a little bit less Jewish. Let's do a little bit less of this religious stuff and let's get with the times and let's enjoy all these things like sports and universities uh, that, uh, and, and, and modern medicine and art and philosophy and theater that, that the Greeks are bringing into the modern world. Uh, and so the fact that they're called Herodians uh, sort of clues us in on what Herod was all about. He's all about these modern secular luxuries. And... Um, we also know from at least three different sources that Herod was extremely violent. The historian Josephus, the Bible itself, when it talks in Matthew 2 about what Herod would do to try to kill off uh, all the young uh, babies, male babies that were born uh, in, in the same time period, the same story. Uh, and then the, the Jewish Sanhedrin has writings as well. Three different places uh, document how violent and ruthless Herod was. So you can only imagine uh, a, a, an exemplary spiritual couple like Zechariah and uh, Elizabeth. They're serving faithfully. They're, they're wanting God to bring positive change over Israel. And, and then you got this guy, Herod, that's just all about completely different values and uh, goals for Israel. The final connection point uh, is that this couple who's been faithful, who's been serving God, who's not necessarily thrilled with the direction that culture is going, their prayers have been unanswered. They've been praying for an heir, they've been praying for a son, and it tells us in Luke 1.7, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. So as we try to connect uh, with the characters in this story, do you ever feel like Zachariah and Elizabeth have you served and loved God for a long time? Do you ever feel that your prayers are unheard? Do you ever feel that the direction of the culture around you is starting to decline in ways differently than you would like to see it go? 
If your answer to any of those questions is yes, I, I think you can feel a connection to, uh, to the two, the couple in this story. Well, it said they were old. It said their prayers had been unanswered for many years. Uh, but it's also a beautiful story of how they feel heard by God. And so let's move on to section two and let's explore that for a moment or two. The story start, sort of picks up where God gives Zechariah and Elizabeth this heir that they've been longing for. And it says this in verse 13, But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayers have been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. This is great news for this couple. Uh, it's easy to just kind of maybe put our modern fertility issues into this story, but I think we have to be really disciplined to look at it in the way that the original audience would have. They don't just want a boy because they're uh, sexist, okay? Uh, in the ancient world, a male heir was how their family name would continue. It's how their land and property would be handed down, and it's how their values would be passed on through uh, the next generation as well. So if this guy is serving as a priest, if we know that Elizabeth had this uncommon faith and perceptiveness, this desire for a male heir would have been the way that they passed on their values and hoped that, that, their gener that the next generation would maybe see some of the change and renewal that they wanted to see God bring. Maybe they wouldn't see it in their lifetime, but maybe they would see it through their children. And these are some of the reasons that they wanted an heir so badly. So it's good news when they find out that Elizabeth is going to give them a son, but it's even, it's even better than what they had been hoping for. Because not only are they going to have a son, but we're told that uh, it's going to be this guy that we know of as John the Baptist. And what's so dynamic about John the Baptist is he's going to start this great renewal that the whole Old Testament talks about is going to happen at a future time. When you read through Isaiah, when you read through Jeremiah, when you read through Ezekiel, there's all these places in the Old Testament that talk about how in the future, God is going to do a great work, not only to bless Israel, but throughout the whole world. Uh, and so when the angel tells this priest here in uh, verses uh, 15, 16, and 17 uh, what's going to happen, it's not just going to be a regular baby, which already answers the longing of their heart, but it's going to be this dynamic figure that kickstarts this incredible new thing that God is going to do. Listen to what it says here in verses uh, uh, 15, 16, and 17. This son, uh, he'll be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. He'll bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he'll go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn their hearts of their parents to their children, and they're disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. In other words, uh, John, for his whole life, like he's been praying for a single, and in the championship game, he hits a triple. Like, I don't know how else to say it, other than John has been, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Zechariah has been hoping for something that would meet his threshold, it would, it would, it would answer his hope. And, and, and the angel tells this priest that, that this answer to prayer is going to exceed anything that you and your wife have ever hoped for. 
A little bit later on, at the end of chapter 1, Zechariah responds with sort of this song or this poem, and it tells us in verses 70 to 75 that Zechariah understands that all these promises from the book of Genesis and the book of Exodus and the book of Jeremiah are going to come true through this son that he and his wife are going to have. Uh, this, this prayer has been answered in a way that exceeds their expectations. Uh, and, and there's sort of this final component that's woven into this story that shows us what it's all about. And uh, if we would have had time to read all of the parts of Luke chapter 1 that are about this couple, uh, Zechariah, he, he doubts that, that this is going to come true. He doubts that his older wife is going to give birth to a child, and instantly he can't talk. Uh, he has to go around with like a tablet uh, and write the things that he wants people to know on this tablet. And then in verse uh, 64, at the end of the story, when he finally fully comprehends what God is going to do, when he finally fully believes that God has heard him and God is interceding in his life, his voice comes back. So I just want you to think about that. It's not necessarily a laugh out loud moment. But it's a story about if God hears our prayers. It's a story about are you like Charlie Brown? It's a story about does God see you and hear you? And finally, at the moment where Zachariah feels heard by God, that's when people can now hear him again because his voice is restored. The narrator is clearly showing us that this is a story about being heard. And Zachariah is fully heard when he fully believes God. So the story in Luke 1 of this first Advent couple, uh, this, uh, this, this child that's going to come to start announcing that Jesus will come after him, it's a beautiful reminder that even though this couple didn't feel their prayers were heard for years and years and maybe decades and decades, not only were they heard by God, but God saw them and heard them and answered their prayers in a way that greatly exceeded their expectations. So let's wrap up with uh, two things from this story that I think are exceedingly encouraging for us here at the start of uh, this Christmas season. The first one is this. It's not always true, but it's often true. And it's this. When you feel unheard by God, when you feel that your prayers are unheard, it's often because God's timing and plan are better than yours. Can you think about what it would have been like year after year, decade after decade, for Zechariah and Elizabeth to be praying that God would give them a son? And when their prayers are finally heard, not only do they get a son, but he's not someone that's just going to live in their basement for 40 years. It's John the Baptist. It's this dynamic man in the spirit of Elijah who's going to jumpstart this renewing work of God. Later on in the Gospels, Jesus himself says that John the Baptist is one of the greatest men that's ever lived. What an answer to prayer that exceeds what even the mother and the father expected. It says in Luke 20, uh, uh, um, God says, my words, he says to Zechariah, you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. That's a reminder to us that God has his own time. Sometimes it's discouraging that God's own time doesn't match up with our own time. But this story reminds us that God's timing is always better. 
In verse 66, he says, and the hand of the Lord will be with him. This is, a di- this is not only an answer to prayer, but it's a dynamic answer to prayer. And I just want to ask you guys, if you've ever experienced something in your life, if you guys have ever prayed for something and you waited and you waited and you felt discouraged and you even thought to yourself, uh, God, why are you allowing me to come to you with this unheard of prayer? Only to one day come to a realization where, where, where you did say, yeah, God's timing was better than my timing. Quick illustration of that. In uh, the end of World War II, there was this Russian soldier, and uh, the war was ending. His name was Alexander Solzhenitsyn. And uh, he wrote a letter to a friend a little bit discouraged about the state of his country at the time. Unfortunately, the KGB intercepted that letter and sentenced him to eight years in a Russian labor camp. He was like a decorated Russian combat soldier. Uh, When his eight years of hard labor concluded, he was then exiled to a remote place called uh, Kazakhstan, where he was diagnosed with cancer. Uh, Did you guys think Charlie Brown had a bad? This guy was a combat veteran. He was sentenced to eight years in a Russian labor camp. Then he was exiled to the most remote place in the region. And then he uh, had cancer. Well, I'm sure at that point he asked himself, how could God have good timing? What is God doing in my life right now? Why are my prayers unheard? Well, uh, it was during those 10 years that he walked away from atheism and he became a Christian. He became a person of faith. He wrote about his experience in the labor camp. Uh, He wrote two books about his experience in the labor camp, uh, which went on to win him the 1970 Nobel Prize for Literature. The two books that he's most famous for played an enormous role in the dismantling of an empire of uh, the dismantling of a a communistic empire. He was exiled to the United States for 20 years. He returned uh, to Russia as a national hero, and uh, he went on to live uh, to become 89 years old, a decorated hero in his country. Uh, There were doubtless times in his story where he felt unheard, and he asked himself, how could God do anything good through my experience? But that letter of frustration at the direction of his country, which led to 10 years of labor and exile, led to finding God, led to writing these works of literature that won the Nobel Prize, led to dismantle this evil empire, and he one day returned as a national hero. There's many people in this room that will spend most of their life wondering how God's timing could be good, But I think that most of us will also come to a point at the end of our lives where we look back like Zechariah and Elizabeth and we come to the conclusion that God's answers and God's timing actually somehow exceeded our wildest hopes. That's one encouragement from the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah. When you feel unheard, it is often because God's timing and plan are better than ours and exceed our expectation. And the final thing that I want to point out before the worship team comes forward again is this. The light bulb moment or the real encouragement from this story is that we are not to doubt that God is bringing a great act of renewal into our personal lives 
and into our culture. I want you to think about that priest, Zechariah. He had gone through his life. He had felt that his prayers were unheard. He drew lots and he was in the temple and the angel came down to him and told him, God's going to give you a son. He's going to be in the spirit of Elijah and he's going to kick off this great work of renewal where Israel is going to become reconnected to God. Uh, There's going to be a great act of renewal in your life and in culture. And he doubts. He's been waiting so long that when the good news finally comes, it's just hard for him to believe. Then, of course, when he comes to the place where he can trust that God is going to do what he says, his voice is restored. I think we are supposed to look into this story and we are supposed to see a little bit of Zechariah in ourselves. For some of you, this might be your 60th Christmas. It might be your 24th Christmas. It might be your first Christmas alone or without a loved one. And then the pastor starts talking about Advent and we start singing these Christmas songs and there might be a tiny little part of your Charlie Brown brain that says, good grief, here we go again. Someone's telling me that Christmas is about an act of forgiveness and renewal and beauty that God wants to bring into my life. And you might be like Zachariah and you might say, I don't believe it. Uh, And the story of Elizabeth and Zachariah is meant to remind us that Christmas is all about this act of renewal that God wants to do in your life personally uh, and in our greater culture as well. So I would like the worship team to come forward and uh, conclude our service with another beautiful song or two. And as they do, let me just offer this summary statement. The story in Luke 1 about Elizabeth and Zacharias reminds us that God is suddenly bringing a long-awaited act of renewal. Let me say that again. The story today is all about how God is suddenly bringing a long-awaited act of renewal. Maybe you guys have been expecting God to bring a healing uh, or, or refresh a relationship or answer some prayer for a really long time. This story and the Christmas story reminds us that John the Baptist came to declare what Jesus Christ was going to fulfill in the Old Testament. Jesus Christ is coming to bring a personal act of renewal. uh, And that's something that I hope we can all trust in and look forward to as uh, this Christmas season starts. Let's think about how this story is about God wanting to do something new and fresh that exceeds your expectations through the coming of Christ this Christmas.